This is the Onesimus Collective. Episode 4 Standing in the Gap for You Some have given up on the modern-day church, noting the hypocrisy, the wasteful spending on large, elaborate church buildings, and the cliques that are prevalent in many churches. I agree wholeheartedly that churches have issues. They have problems. And many in the church can't get out of their own way long enough to see the lost world around them. The lost world who, bit by bit, are slipping off into hell. And that slipping off into hell will be for eternity. These people with their agendas, or just their ignorance, have very little desire to see the kingdom of God filled with the lost souls that are in the world today. They seem to be callous to the need for these lost souls to find safe haven under the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. I have sat and listened to too many sermons where the scripture chosen by the preacher was completely out of context. Maybe the preacher was aiming at a particular agenda, and probably was. Too many times and too many messages without a hint of God's Holy Spirit's influence on what is being said. In the biblical book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verses 23 through 31, we see God speaking through the writing of Ezekiel about the filth and defilement that existed among God's people at the time. Verses 23 through 29 states, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls, they have taken the treasure and precious things, they have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law, and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey, to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression, and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. The next verse is the one I want to highlight, and will springboard the discussion to where we are headed. The biblical book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 30 says, And I sought for a man among them, that should make up the hedge, and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. So what can be made of these words? 
God, through the prophet Ezekiel, had charged his chosen people with atrocities. Verse 30, as poignant today as when Ezekiel wrote it down, is where God says, and I paraphrase, I have sought someone to pray. I have sought for those who will surround themselves with a body of godly believers. I have sought for those who will resist Satan, cling to my word, and abide in my spirit. I have sought for those who have sold out to me and are willing to do the work and pray a hedge of protection around those who may be weak, confused, and tired. I have sought for those who will be a fighter and protector of the flock. We should consider that even if a person is willingly participating in sin, and even initiating the sin, these people need to be protected and brought into the fold so Jesus can heal them. Often, the person in need of Jesus' healing is lost, but even Christians can lose their way. They can fall, get dirty, and sin against the God of heaven. And you might say, Christians can't sin, can they? Well, according to the biblical book of 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10, through 10, Yes, they can. In verse 5 we find, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us, from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, it would appear that Christians are not perfect. They still sin, but have continued cleansing through Jesus Christ, according to the scripture just read. For a Christian to say they have no sin is to clarify that they do have sin. John continues in the biblical book of 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, what is the propitiation? Well, propitiation encompasses Jesus being humanity's atonement for sin and for sinning himself in our place before the throne of God. To put it plainly, Jesus is our go-between, standing between sinful humanity and the holy God. Christians who can continually sin without a desire to come to Jesus Christ for cleansing and forgiveness just might be Christian in title only. A truly regenerated heart craves a close relationship with God and will work to maintain that relationship. So you ask, where is all of this going? Well, we have one more section of scripture to consider. And remember, the original thought we begin with is how many churches in today's world are doing a poor job of leading the lost to Christ. As well, many local churches are doing little to help professing Christians maintain their walk with God. The next scripture reference considers the Jewish leaders, specifically those who were working to do away with Jesus, and how they chose, or maybe would choose in every instance, to deal with the sinner. In the biblical book 
of John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. As we look at verses 1 and 2, Jesus and those wanting to hear Jesus had assembled at the temple. The hearers were probably sitting in a circle with Jesus seated in the middle of that circle, where he was in the process of teaching. Verse 3 says, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had sat her in the midst. We will pause there as we consider verse 3. We see that in the process of the men bringing the woman in, Jesus had stood up, presumably, as they brought her into the circle with him. Verse 4 tells us, They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Notice an interesting thing here. For those men to have caught the woman in the very act have witnessed the very act itself. The elephant in the room is how did these men just happen to be where this woman was in the very act? However, John does not include the backstory, as it were, and we will not speculate on it here. We will posture, though, that these men were much like some in the church today. Go and enjoy sinful, lustful, and perverted things, and then go and praise the Lord and sing his praises on Sunday morning. With that being said, these men go all religious, but it wasn't about praising God. It was all about trapping the Son of God. They glowingly proclaim in verse 5, Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger rolled on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. These men came with the woman and the rocks they planned to throw at her. Considering they possibly had no desire to see the woman punished, other than having a chance to corner Jesus with his own words, the true reason these men had brought the woman was to effect an accusation against Jesus. However, Jesus just stooped down and wrote some more on the ground. Verse 8 tells us, And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Okay, I want to point out how Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground in verse 6, and again here in verse 8. The question as to what he was writing has been pondered for centuries, but no one is sure. Just to explore a rabbit trail, could it be that Jesus was listing all of the men's names and listing all of their sins next to each name? This idea might be a good one considering what happened in verse 9. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So all of the men, having successfully had their consciences gnawed out and spat on the ground, slunk out of the temple, leaving an unused pile of rocks behind. As well, they left the woman, and sure, she sinned and deserved what she was getting, 
but watching her stand there, not knowing what would happen next, had to be heartbreaking. She could have walked out as well, but maybe she had heard about this Jesus. Maybe there was something in her spirit that was crying. Here is where my life changes. This is where my soul goes free. In the biblical book of John, chapter 8, verse 10, we see, When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go, and sin no more. So Jesus stands up once more and looks at the woman. I'm sure she was scared. But Jesus asked about those who would condemn her, and as she responds, no one condemns me, Jesus clarifies that he doesn't condemn her either. He does stress not to continue in the sin that could have taken her life that day. We hear nothing else in Scripture specifically about this woman, so it can be assumed she did as Jesus instructed. Verse 12 states, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Our last verse, verse 12, gives another instance of how walking with Jesus is walking in the light. If we remember from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, we are told there as well that walking with Jesus is walking in the light. Also, this verse may help in understanding the changed nature the woman surely left with that day. So, to cap everything off, did these men stand in the gap for the woman caught in adultery? No. They used her to try to destroy Jesus. There are people in churches today who are not much different. Those who would ostracize many of us if they knew about our past, our struggles, and the sins we all return to time and again. We have to face facts. Jesus could have been justified in dealing harshly with a woman called in adultery. However, Jesus could do something that the men who brought her could not. He could see her heart. He could see her desire to change and had the mercy and grace to set her free. Well now, tell me, do you regularly attend a local church? Now tell me again. If you were in a pickle, as the saying goes, could you depend on those in your church family to stand in the gap for you? Or, if divulging some or all of a certain situation, would they gossip, poke fun, or try to turn you out? I mean, face it, we're all just a little messed up, and it matters not how good your poker face is. We all have our issues, and no, I am not bashing the church to be mean, but I do have personal experience of how mean some church people can be. Ultimately, though, the local church is a vital part of any community and should be protected and nourished. The real problem, myself included, is people are way too inwardly focused and have no desire to say, maybe walk down the street and check on a neighbor. We reason that neighbors might not want to be bothered because we would rather not be bothered in return if we're being truthful. 
However, if checking on a neighbor is on your mind, then that neighbor might be on your heart. The one thing that one neighbor might be praying for is a friendly face to stop by and say hi. I am convinced that until we learn to focus more on others and less on ourselves, we will continue to be somewhat miserable in our daily existence, and this will cause us to continue to mistreat each other. Yes, I said existence. If we are not living to serve others, we are mostly existing and not living. To end this episode, I would like to offer up a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us today to serve you more. You tell us in your word that in serving others, we are serving you. Help us to always keep our eyes on Christ, to become more like him, and to be servants and helpers to those in our spheres of influence. Not for us to be seen, but for the light in the person of Jesus Christ to be manifest throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture references are from the authorized King James Bible. Music, courtesy of Apple Loops and Pixabay.com. Direct questions and comments to AnissimusCollective at gmail.com. And please, rate the show where you get your podcast. Thank you for listening to the Anissimus Collective.